0: But today we're continuing our study of John. Um, This series entitled New Heights uh, reminds us that John was sharing some concepts and principles that would lift our minds to a higher and loftier thoughts. And today we're going to consider the highest of memorials. Now, if you came today thinking, oh, Tim's going to follow along, Core 52 will be in worship today, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you. Um, so what happened is Cruz was going to preach today on worship, but uh, he was asked to lead a thing at MACU, and so he is there this week. And so I told him, look, I'll just switch up. I'll preach what I would have preached the next week, and then you can preach the sermon on worship you come back. So that's what we're doing. We're doing a little switcheroo on you today. So I'm going to be preaching on this highest memorial, and next week, Cruz will come and preach about worship. But let's get back to memorials. You've probably been around some famous memorials. Have any of you visited any memorials in our country or around the world? throughout history men have commemorated special events with memorials emblematic of sacrifice and heroism and national pride for instance maybe some, how many of you have been to this tomb the tomb of the unknown anybody anybody been there okay What a special memory that must be. The tomb of the unknown soldier representing all of the soldiers who have sacrificed their lives in service of this country. The unknowns were those soldiers who died in battle who were unidentifiable. And so their remains were not able to be returned to their families. And so uh, through a process they were chosen to be entombed Here for all of the rest of history. Uh, This is a very somber place and it demands respect and honor. And if you've ever been there during the changing of the guard, what a memorable experience that is. Some of you may have been to Hawaii and been to this memorial, the USS Arizona. Anybody here ever been to the USS Arizona Memorial? Uh, This is another very solemn memorial. Uh, It is the last resting place of 1,102 sailors and Marines who were killed on board the Arizona during the attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. You can see the ship below, which is still resting uh, on the bottom of the harbor, and then the memorial was built over top of that. It was built in 1962, and since that time, every year over 2 million people come to visit it. Um, The 9-11 memorial is a newer memorial, and most of us here would remember uh, what this commemorates. Uh, It is reminding us of the horrific attacks on America uh, on that terrible date. It is so that we will never forget the 2,996 people who were killed by this terrorist attack. Uh, and, and I hope if you get a chance to go to New York, you get a chance to go by that 9-11 memorial. Each of these memorials causes us to pause and to think about the sacrifices of those who have gone on before us. They cause us to consider the great debt of gratitude we owe to those who have sacrificed for our freedoms. And you know, every Sunday when we come together for worship, we take part in a memorial. It's called communion or the Lord's Supper. This is to help us remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, it may be easy for us at times to take this memorial for granted. Some churches only take communion periodically. We take it every Sunday. Some feel that by doing so, uh, we are making it more common, and therefore it loses some of its significance. We, on the other hand, believe that It is not losing its significance. We believe that when we focus on this memorial every Sunday, it is a powerful reminder every week of the love that God has for us, of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, of the life that He is calling us to lead. Scripture indicates that the idea of communion does not come from man, it comes from Jesus himself. Knowing that we are a people who need memorials to remember things, Jesus called for us to participate together in this worship of him. And so communion is our memorial to the sacrifice of Jesus, but also to the hope that we have in Him. And in our text today, we read the words of Jesus as He set the stage for this memorial. You can turn over to John 6, 53, where we read, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Now, we have to sort of think back to... (laughs) The people that heard Jesus say this, his disciples, and there were some other religious leaders and people around who heard what Jesus said, and at the time Jesus said this, they had no clue what he was talking about. In fact, the words of Jesus were actually shocking to those who heard him. So I want to go back, I want to read the entire text in context. Beginning in verse 48, Jesus says, "'I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever.'" This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them." Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus was saying things about drinking His blood and eating his flesh. Obviously, people are going to be thinking, he's talking about cannibalism here. I mean, this guy's lost his mind. He's off his rocker. We know on this side of the cross that Jesus was using a figure of speech. He's setting the stage for what is to come. It would not be until his death and resurrection that all of this would finally make sense to his disciples. In Matthew 26, Jesus called all of his disciples together in the upper room. Now, they still did not know uh, 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 what would end up at the end of the day and how their lives would be turned upside down, but Jesus knew everything that was coming. He knew that by the end of that night, he was going to be taken by a mob, all right, and that he would end up being crucified for the sins of all man. But the disciples didn't know this. So Jesus used this Passover dinner as an opportunity to teach them something. They came together to celebrate the Passover. Now, of course, the Passover meal was a memorial in itself to the history of the Jewish people and what God had done to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. It was a reminder every year of how God had spared them when death had come to the land of Egypt and had taken the firstborn male sons of every household, except for the homes that had the blood of a lamb put, it on, put on the doorframe of the house. Now, little did they know that this is also pointing the way to Jesus. Now, this would be the last Passover meal that Jesus would eat with his disciples. And so, that night, we read in verses 26 and 27 of Matthew 26, while they were reading, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in both this instance, the night that they shared the Passover meal, and earlier when he spoke of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, Jesus was laying down this foundational truth for the Christian faith. Jesus died so that we could be saved. The Passover meal for those who accept Christ now took on an even greater significance. God did not just spare the Jewish people from the Egyptians. God's plan was to spare all people from sin and death if they would trust in Jesus. And that's why I believe this memorial, communion or the Lord's Supper, is the highest of all memorials. It speaks to not just one nation, but to all nations. It speaks not just to one race, but to all races, not just one gender, but to all genders, and not just to one government, but to all governments, not just one society or one culture, but to all, because as we learned last week, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It speaks to all, because Jesus died to save all. When you think about effective memorials, I think that there are some traits that need to be present to be effective. And the first trait is this, that effective memorials remind us of the past. All those memorials we mentioned earlier on were so effective because they teach us about our past. We'll never forget those who are memorialized because we have these reminders. The Vietnam War Memorial, for example, is a simple black granite wall with the names of over 58,000 service members who died in that conflict. Veterans and family members who go to the Vietnam War Memorial will often use a pencil or marker and will rub out the name of their loved one on a piece of paper. This gives them a lasting image of the name. One visitor shared this thought. The first time I went to the wall years back, the one thing that I noticed was how quiet it was. Uh, I had been to all the other monuments, and people were talking and laughing and taking pictures, but it was so different at the wall. It was just silence. It was almost as if people were on hallowed ground, and they knew that if they were ever going to be respectful, this is where they were going to do it. Maybe it was over 58,000 names that they had been seen etched in the granite or the enormity of the wall. I don't know. But it was by far was magical to me because I could go up to my brother's name and not have people laughing around me. It was as if it were just him and I there. Things have changed since my first visit there. Seems to be more people. But one thing that has not changed is the quiet and the solemn faces of all who walk past the 58,000 names. Renee D. from Michigan wrote these words. We should have a picture of that. We don't have it, apparently. When we take the bread and the juice, we are reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus. We, We don't believe these emblems actually become the body and the blood of Jesus, but they do remind us of his body and blood. We're reminded that Jesus' body was beaten and suffered. His flesh was ripped apart by a cat of nine tails. Uh, nails were driven through his feet and through his hands. A, a spear thrust into his side. A crown of thorns pressed down on his head. And as a result, his blood flowed from his body. No wonder he died so quickly because he lost So much blood that his body was so weakened, and he would end up suffocating quickly on that cross. Now, we have to be careful when we say things like his body was broken, because no bone in his body was broken. This was a prophecy that was said about Messiah that no bone on his body would be broken. So, if we say his body was broken, that's not referring to his bones. But we know that his body was just decimated by what was done to him. I would suggest, though, that we not only consider Jesus' past sacrifice, but also our past sin and struggle. Sometimes we forget where Jesus has brought us from. We should not dwell on our past sins, but we should remember that he saved us. Now, what did he save you from? What guilt? or shame? What failure or weakness? What in your past can you say, thank you God for delivering me from that? When you take communion, I hope you remember. When you hold that bread in a few moments, I hope you will remember. When you drink that cup in a few moments, I hope you will remember what Jesus did in your past and about your past. But it's not just remembering the past that makes memorials effective. Effective memorials reflect our present as well. When you think of memorials that have moved you, haven't they caused you to reflect on the blessings you have now? I think these war memorials, uh, and they caused me to think about and be grateful for the sacrifices people have made so that I could be free today. Our freedom has come at a terrible cost. The lifeblood of men and women who fought and died so that we might be free means that my freedom that I live out every day is of great worth and value. So such memorials cause us to reflect on our present lives. They cause us to ask ourselves some questions. Am I grateful for my freedom? Would I fight for the freedoms that others fought to give me? How do I show my appreciation to those who have sacrificed? When I think about those memorials years ago, back in 1982, uh, I traveled over to Europe, uh, to England, to do a summer internship. And while we were there, we traveled over to the continent of Europe, and we visited the Holocaust Memorial at Dachau. Now, that experience still causes me to ponder my life and reflect on my choices and the things that I believe. Now, Dachau was a small village outside of Munich, Germany, but during World War II, the Nazis used it as a concentration camp, and some would stay an extermination camp. The camp was used to force prisoners to work for the German war machine. It would have also been a place where medical experiments would take place, and eventually the extermination of prisoners to accomplish Hitler's final solution. It's not known how many prisoners would die there, but between 1940 and 1945, At least 32,000 would take their final breath at that camp. The part that was most memorable to me was the crematorium where they would cremate the bodies of the deceased. And this is a picture of that crematorium. They, uh, they, They would take the bodies of those that died and cremate them there so that they wouldn't have to bury so many people. They were running out of space. I remember as we uh, were there, and we we looked at this, and as we turned to go out of the room, uh, there was a little table and a basin of water, and there was a sign above that written in German, but also translated in English, be sure to wash your hands. And man, that made an impact on me, because I, I thought of Pilate washing his hands. Uh, oh my goodness, did you hear that? My, my, my watch just said something about translate in English. What are you doing? These... <laughs> That's scary. Oh. Um, but <laughs> it, it made me think of when Pilate washed his hands of the responsibility of executing an innocent man. You know, as, as you leave that room, you walk past uh, that sign, and then as you leave the memorial, you walk past another huge sign, and I think we have it here, the next sign, and you see five different languages, but they're in English, never again. I was forced to ask myself, what would I do in the same situation? Would I turn and look away? Would I stand up against that kind of evil? Would I just wash my hands and walk? away and never say anything or do anything to help those who are suffering. An effective memorial causes you to reflect on your present life, on your choices. And this memorial we call communion is no different in that aspect. It is effective because it causes us to look inward presently at who we are. We, in fact, are instructed to do exactly that as we partake. In 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 27, we read, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. You know, think about Paul's words. We should reflect upon our life and upon our choices. And as we take it, reflect upon Christ in us. This is not a time to be focused on what we're going to eat for lunch today or who's playing the game on TV today. It is a time of reflection, inner reflection, personal reflection. Am I living for Christ? Am I grateful for his sacrifice? Am I focused on the right things? And not only do we reflect on our lives at present, but... An effective memorial also causes us to look outward, and that's what communion does. This is one thing that is special about communion. It's not just a personal experience. It is a communal experience. We take this communion together as a church. We know that the Passover was a meal that was celebrated together with like-minded believers, people that were in the Jewish family would take that Passover. Many times they would have friends and family over, and they would participate. And so it is with the Lord's Supper. Christians would come together for a meal. In the midst of that meal, they would recognize the body and the blood of Christ. Now, very early on, the memorial feast would follow a worship service that would be normally back then in a person's home. They didn't have church buildings like we have today. They had synagogues. They had the temple. But again, these are Christians who are wanting to celebrate the Lord's sacrifice. So many times they would, again, come to homes where they would worship. And after worship, they would set up tables uh, because There were not enough room in these homes normally. They would also set up tables and chairs outside. So who do you think got to eat inside and who do you think got to eat outside? Well, there seemed to be a problem. Because Paul reflected on the fact that you're letting the rich people eat inside, you're putting the poor people outside. And that's why Paul had some harsh words for the Christians. People were being treated inequitably. And Paul called them out in 1 Corinthians 11, 20 and 21. He writes, So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Something was wrong with how they were doing their communion. It was a time to reflect on how they were actually treating each other. They had to look outward." to the family of God. Am I treating these people as brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I have harsh feelings or hatred towards anyone that is in my spiritual family? You know, years ago, in another church, there was a lady whose family had a dispute with another family in the church over timber rights. Forty years later, and that's when I was at the church, Whenever a certain man from the other family would serve communion, this woman refused to take it. So if communion is to be effective for us, we must look inward and we must look outward as we partake of it. And there is one more thing that an effective memorial will cause us to do. Effective memorials recast our future. Now, those who have traveled to Rwanda can tell you that the genocide memorials have had a tremendous impact upon us and upon that nation. This memorial, I think we have a picture here, is of the Nehemiah Memorial, and it is a reminder of the past, but also a call to recast the future. Rwanda never wants to see this kind of hatred and destruction that came to them when that genocide came. That genocide came as a result of prejudice and evil that had been there for years. Nearly a million Rwandans died as a result. Over 10,000 were killed at this church grounds uh, in Nehemiah. 10,000 people They went to the church building because they thought, well, we'll be safe here. Nobody would do atrocious, uh, uh, terrible things on a church ground. Certainly no one would harm us at the church, but they were wrong. And when the truth came out later, it was discovered that the church members turned against other church members. Some pastors even turned their Tutsi church members over to the mob to be killed. It was horrendous to think that people who call themselves Christians would do such a thing. So Rwanda has cast a vision for the future. We're no longer Hutu and Tutsi. We are Rwandans. They did away with the ID cards which specified which tribe they were a part of. And although we know that history can repeat itself, if we're not careful, those who take the warnings of the memorial will try to ensure that the future is bright and better. Now, That is why we have partnered with our brothers and sisters there to help them in that effort, because we believe that a person who is truly a genuine follower of Christ will love and not hate. Now, friends, communion, when we take it with the right motives and the right thoughts, will also recast our future. We can take heart in the fact that through the body and blood of Christ, we have a hope for a better future. In fact, Jesus said it in John 6, 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, and whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, what does this tell us? We will live forever. This is the hope that we have in Christ. This is the hope of a better future. And every time we partake of communion, the bread and the juice, we are reminded that these emblems point to a world without sin. Just think about that for a moment. There will never be another memorial to the pain and destruction caused by mankind. We will never have to worry about wars and riots again. We will never again have to worry about people desperately trying to escape the ruthless rule of evil people. We will never have to worry about having a military serve and try to protect and defend and be killed in that service. We will never again have to worry about our government letting us down. We will never again have to worry about pandemics and disease taking our loved ones away. Friends, communion reminds us that not only did Jesus die, but he also rose again. And that gives us the hope we need to make it through every day. So communion is our memorial to the sacrifice of Jesus but also to the hope that we have in him. And I want to ask you right now if you would just take those emblems that are in your chick Well, I think you pick them up now. We, we had people sit on them, so we took them out of the seats. So that's what happened. But I want you just to hold on to these emblems for just a moment. Um, and I want you to ponder I want you to ponder the meaning. Hold that bread in your hand. Remember your past. Remember the things that Jesus saved you from. The past that we do try to forget and put behind us, but that past that would have condemned us if not for the sacrifice of Jesus. Reflect on your present. Think about who you are, what you stand for, Think about right now, this moment that you have to commune with Jesus because that's what you're doing. Recast your future. Think about the fact that because of this sacrifice, you have a hope for a better future. We're going to just ponder this for a moment and then we will take communion together. So just think about it. he was betrayed Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it and remember it's in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the fact that you gave us this memorial so that we could remember all that you have done for us through Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you have provided a way for us to not only think about our past, but also consider our present, and then look at our future and see the hope that we have in you. And this is all done through this memorial that you gave to us. I pray, God, that every day we would be reminded of the great love that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.